Introducing Bluehost Cloud, ultra-fast WordPress hosting with 100% uptime. Want a website with unmatched power, speed, and control? Of course you do. And now you can have all three with Bluehost Cloud, the new web hosting plan from Bluehost. With 100% uptime and incredibly speedy load times, your WordPress websites will be dependable and lightning fast on a global scale. Plus, your sites can handle even the biggest traffic spikes without going down or lagging. And with Bluehost Cloud, you get 24-7 WordPress priority support, meaning you're connected to WordPress experts anytime you need them. Not to mention, you automatically get daily backups and world-class security. So, what are you waiting for? Get Bluehost Cloud today by visiting bluehost.com. That's bluehost.com. A science story, huh? These NYU scientists, they... And I felt, felt, felt I feel right. I was so and I just happy. Well, I figured it out. It was that golden moment. Because science was on my side. Hello, welcome to the Story Collider, where we bring you true personal stories about science. I'm Erin Barker, Artistic Director of Story Collider, filling in for our founder, Ben Lilly. This week, we're bringing you two stories about perception from two science journalists. Our first story this week is from Eli Chen. It was recorded in May 2017 at the home of St. Louis Public Radio as part of the St. Louis Storytelling Festival. It was about a year and a half ago and I was sitting on a balcony in a small beach town in Delaware, and I was looking up at the moon. And I was looking up at it because that night, people around the planet would be able to see a rare lunar eclipse. And lunar eclipses, they happen often enough, you know, when the Earth comes in between the sun and the moon. But not often do they happen at the same time as when the moon comes closest to the Earth. And when the moon is in this position, it looks larger to us, and that's why we call them supermoons. And total lunar eclipses are just amazing to watch anyway because light from the sun bends around the edges of the Earth in a way that refracts red light onto the moon, and that's why we call them blood moons. The last time there was this supermoon-blood moon combination was in 1982, and I didn't exist then. The next one will take place in 2033. And by then I'll be in my 40s, which I can't imagine right now. (laughs) I wasn't observing this eclipse alone. Sitting next to me was my boyfriend, whose balcony I was sitting on. And for the sake of this story, I'm gonna call him Adam. Adam and I had been dating for about a year. And we had this sort of dynamic where I'd babble on about Mars and bacteria and all the beautiful things you can learn from bat carcasses. Um, You know, just things that a public radio science reporter does stories about. I mean, I do what I do because I don't know how to quite turn off that switch of talking about weird things all the time. That's just who I am. And I remember he told me once that he knew he liked me from the day we met because, um, not just because he found me attractive, but also because I did a lot of talking. And there aren't many girls in Southern Delaware who look or talk the way I do. 
I liked Adam because he chose his words carefully. And I tend to like guys who are a little reserved because, frankly, they're a lot less annoying. <laughs> and, you know, for the most part, he let me be my weird self, which was important. But I was also strangely drawn to his nervousness around me. And usually I'm the one who's feeling awkward and nervous around other people. You know, I have crippling social anxiety. And it was new for me to be on the other side of that. So we're sitting on the balcony or watching the moon turn red. And this is something that doesn't take place in 15 minutes. It took hours. I think we were sitting out there for at least a couple hours. And nonetheless, Adam stayed up with me. You know, he took charge of adjusting the controls on the telescope, which he was very good at doing. And rarely in my life has there been anyone who's been willing to spend that much time with me. You know, growing up, I always felt like I was a burden to other people. But as, you know, the moon turned red that night and as we, you know, watched the, the eclipse through the telescope lens, I remember thinking, I'm not gonna find anyone better than this. A little time passed and I got offered a job in St. Louis to continue being a public radio science reporter. And Adam and I were dying to get out of Delaware. So we eagerly packed up our, all of our things and we left the state and we moved in together. About eight months after we moved here, I interviewed a cognitive psychologist who studies romantic love in the brain. <laughs> so she had invited me to watch some experiments where um, she was recording the brainwaves of people who had recently fallen in love. And I sat down with her a couple of times to ask her why she studies what she studies. And the way she saw it, love is a way to understand how the brain works. You know, love is a very powerful motivator. It can sometimes make us do really irrational things. And this researcher was really interested in learning how our thoughts influence how much we love other people. And she had published some research that said that thinking positive thoughts about, say, your partner, your spouse, would help you feel more in love with them. And thinking negative thoughts about, say, someone who had broken your heart would help you feel less in love with them. And to me, and I don't think I'm alone here, that seemed fairly obvious. <laughs> but then she threw out this example. She said, say you're in a committed relationship and you find that you've fallen in love with someone else. You could attempt to try and control love by thinking positive thoughts about the person that you think you should be with and negative thoughts about the person you shouldn't be with. And immediately I thought, that would really suck to be in that situation. But I was also skeptical because relationships are complicated, people are complicated, and so I asked her if this would actually work in a real life situation. She said her research showed that it could work in the short term and that over the long term, you'd have to keep exercising those thoughts regularly to work. I left her office thinking, who's got time for that? <laughs> but I also thought it would never happen to me 
because I thought things between me and Adam were good. But, and I had also become really close with his friends and family and um, there was a lot of talk about getting married down the road. But there were also things that were kind of simmering underneath the surface. Things that, you know, I thought were issues that naturally came up when you're with someone for an extended period of time, and especially when that person moves halfway across the country to be with you. Basically, I had been harboring a lot of guilt that I was here pursuing this glorious science public radio career while he was attending community college with kids half his age and waiting tables at a really dysfunctional restaurant. I'd come home from work a lot and immediately just start complaining about things that happened that day. And that happened over and over again to the point where he said that he had enough of it and that he didn't want to hear about it anymore and that I should be grateful to have the job that I have. And it was a valid point, but it made me feel terrible. And it also made me feel alone. So bad feelings like that were building up in the weeks and months, actually, before I interviewed this psychologist. And in a few short weeks after, I realized that I had fallen in love with one of my friends. And this was a friend who I felt like I could talk to and share things that were happening in my life without feeling bad about it. And I didn't have to prod him to be receptive to the things I was talking about. And there were times um, where we'd get into these long conversations about feeling a little lost in life. And when I spent time with him, the loneliness I was feeling would recede only a little, but just enough to matter. And when I realized what was happening, I thought about what the psychologist said and I tried to redirect my thoughts. I thought, this is stupid. You know, Adam does so much for me. Um, he moved here for me. He loves me unconditionally. I should be lucky to have him. And crushes will come and go, and my friend will always just be a friend. And I even forced myself to think about what our apartment would look like without all of Adam's books and posters and, you know, Lego spaceships. And I try to focus on how devastating that would feel. But I really underestimated how much stress I was under in my professional and personal life and how much that was making it impossible to control the feelings I was having about these people. And eventually, Adam and I got into a huge fight and that led quickly to the end of our relationship. Um, I finally admitted that I didn't think I was in love with him anymore, and a large reason why I was with him was because I didn't think anyone else would have me. And that was a feeling I couldn't change. And he said it was the cruelest thing that anyone ever said to him. And in less than a week, he packed up all of his things, and he left St. Louis. Since then, I've tried. I'm still trying to figure out what love means to me. I never expected to have feelings for anyone else. And I never expected to hurt Adam the way I did. And I also never expected to feel so relieved, actually, when he up and vanished from my life. 
there was a while where I was wondering if I was just some horrible, messed up, awful, selfish person. But my friends who were so supportive during this time, they kept telling me that I shouldn't be ashamed of the way I feel, that everything I'm going through just means that I'm human. And I started to think that maybe I shouldn't try to control love. Maybe I should just accept my feelings as they are. Recently, I remembered this one time that Adam and I were walking along a beach in Delaware. And the moon looked unusually large that night near the horizon. And I tried to take a photo of it with my phone. But the moon ended up looking small. And I was disappointed that my phone couldn't convey the size of the moon I was seeing. Adam said something about how it's really our minds that make, our, make the moon look big to us and that our perception is actually based on an illusion. At first, I was annoyed that you know, my brain was responsible for tricking me in this small way. But then I saw it as a chance to learn something new about myself, and that there's something to appreciate about the curious ways that our minds and our bodies are wired to give us the experiences that we never expected to have. That was Eli Chen. Eli is one of our new Story Collider producers in St. Louis. If you're based in the St. Louis area, you may have seen her hosting our show at the Ready Room on Thursday, along with comedian Zach Stovall. If you missed it, don't worry. We'll have more shows coming up. Just keep an eye on our website and social media. Eli is also the science and environment reporter at St. Louis Public Radio. She's also covered the same beat for Delaware Public Media, where she reported on threats to bats, coastal erosion, and other things of concern to a small East Coast state. Before that, she corralled robots and citizen scientists for the World Science Festival in New York City and spent a brief stint booking guests for Science Friday's live events in 2013. Stay tuned for the next story after this message from our sponsor. Virtue Labs is a new hair care brand with the goal of giving everyone the best hair scientifically possible. That means more bounce, more shine, more strength, and more life for your hair. And right now, you can only find it in Virtue Labs' line of shampoos, conditioners, and styling products. Not to mention, each formula was created to address specific issues like heat damage, frizz, or thinning hair. In clinical testing, Virtue found a 67% reduction in frizz after four washes and a 95% reparation of split ends after five applications. Ready to experience it? Listeners can now try Virtue at 10% off and get free shipping with the code COLLIDER. Visit VirtueLabs.com to place your order. It's time to start treating our hair with a little more humanity. It's time for Virtue. Welcome back. Our second story today is from Shannon Paulus. It was recorded in February 2016 at Union Hall in Brooklyn, New York. The theme that night was fight or flight. So when I was a senior in college, I applied to maybe a dozen or so journalism internships at big outlets in big cities, places like Slate, Scientific American, Popular Science, a New Scientist, and I was rejected from every single one. 
I spent a memorable afternoon crying in my bathtub. I was living in Montreal and studying physics and my hands were shaking and my heart was pounding. That feeling of being chased by a wild animal, even though you're technically perfectly safe. I really wanted to be a writer and I felt like nobody else thought that I could do that. I had vague plans to move back to Philadelphia and live in my parents' attic and make a go of it as a freelancer, finding work on my own and submitting things on spec. And that seemed kind of appealing, but it just seems like it took a little bit more confidence than I had at the time. So when a few days before my final, final exam, I found an internship position that had not yet found an intern, I took it. And at the beginning of June, I was on a plane headed to Idaho Falls, Idaho, to work at a nuclear energy lab. It was a public relations internship, which meant that I would be writing press releases about human factors researchers designing better control rooms for dangerous things and prepping scientists for TV spots uh, so they could talk about new kinds of fuel. And all of that sounded really interesting to me. You know, I liked science. I'd studied physics. This stuff was cool. But I didn't want to be doing PR. I didn't want to be writing inevitably one-sided stories for an institution. And... I didn't want to be living in the middle of nowhere. I wanted to be in like New York or Boston or something. Um, but it, overall, it just felt sort of more safe. It's felt safe to say yes to this, to not have to strike it out on my own. And further, I'd be staying with a, a couple in Idaho, uh, someone my mom knew from college. And so I would have like Idaho parents of sorts to take care of me and make sure I was all right. My first day of work, I met my co-writing intern, Allie, who immediately put me at ease. She was wearing black pointy high heel shoes and bright red lipstick. And I was like, okay, right, like big cities do not have a monopoly on glamor. Um, and she just seemed so much more prepared for the world than I was. She told me that she had brought an entire extra suitcase with her to Idaho, filled with gear for adventures. And she invited me on one that weekend. That Saturday, she and Brad, whose name has been changed, picked me up in Brad's car. Uh, both of them had all this stuff, like backpacks with like mesh so that you wouldn't get sweaty and clips that clipped around your waist so you know the weight would be distributed. And in addition to hiking boots, sandals with webbing that like you could also hike in and sunscreen and a first aid kit. And Brad had um, this like water filter so we could drink from the stream. And my contribution to disaster preparedness was to bring a Kindle in case I got tired on the hike and had to sit down. <laughs> um, I really liked the outdoors, but I'd spent the past five years like indoors in Montreal studying and drinking beer. So we dri drive to the trailhead um, and we sign our names into a guest book. Like, so if anything happens, like the police can have a clue as to your last location and we start walking. And there's one more danger in Idaho that we don't really have in cities, and that is bears. But Brad um, told us that, you know, like, probability is on your side. These things are pretty rare. And also, like, if you just talk and make noise, like, you know, be normal. Like, they're more afraid of you than you are of them. Um, so that's what we did. We, we had conversations about what we had been studying at school and our hopes and dreams for the summer and beyond. And within a few miles of this hike, I realized like a new fundamental truth about the world, which is that Idaho is beautiful. Whoever does their PR is like the potatoes thing and so much more than that. The sky was like big and gorgeous and there were small animals and trees and we had this trail mostly to ourselves. 
and I make it all six miles to the top of this mountain where there's this lake that is like Caribbean blue and a little island in the center. And we take off our hiking shoes and we hold them and we wade out to the middle and we're just basking in the sun. And I feel like, okay, this wasn't my first choice. And I made this decision sort of out of fear, but it all worked out. It's gonna be awesome. Sometimes you don't have to be like a brave person. Um, and I just felt so good. And we hike back and we, we make it back to the trailhead. I'm still alive. We sign out of the guest book and we drive to a campsite, which it turns out is actually just like a little clearing in the woods. There's nobody else around. We meet up with two other interns, a mechanical engineering intern, a nuclear engineering intern. The five of us cook dinner on the fire. We watch the sunset. We put all of our food away because we're responsible and we fall asleep beneath the stars. The next thing I remember is waking up to the sound of myself screaming. I was screaming. The mechanical engineer was screaming next to me. Next to her, the nuclear engineer was screaming. Brad had jumped out of his hammock and was in a defense stance. I think, I don't really know. I've never defended myself against anything. And was going, ha, 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 there was a bear. Now, we didn't get to the next step of what you're actually supposed to do once you see a bear. I was sitting there in my tent, curled up in a ball, thinking about how my Idaho parents were going to have to call my biological parents and explain to them that I had been mauled or watch someone be mauled. And Allie was playing dead on the other side of the campsite, but I didn't know that, and I didn't know that that was the right thing to do anyway. And eventually we all stop, and Brad has whipped out his flashlight and is waving it around, and he confirms to us that yes, he has seen something, but he doesn't know where it went. This does not make me feel too much better, so I sit there very still for as long as I can, and eventually I fall asleep because I am so tired after hiking 12 miles after five years of being indoors. <laughs> when I wake up in the morning, I am so relieved to see sunlight. And as I wipe the grogginess out of my eyes and think about how I'm going to get a cup of coffee out here, I realize something. I never actually saw a bear. Next to me, the mechanical engineer says she hasn't seen a bear. Next to her, the nuclear engineer says he hadn't seen a bear. Allie thought that it was an axe murderer that was after us. And Brad explains to us what he saw, which was nothing. He had been sleepwalking. We had all been reacting to this thing that was happening in Brad's head. It was just five of us sitting in the woods, freaked out about nothing. <laughs> it wasn't how we were going to die. It wasn't some phone call our parents were going to get. It was going to be an inside joke that would carry our friendship through the rest of the summer. And it did. We went on weekend camping trips. We ate lunch together. We goofed off on trips to the nuclear reactor. I went on home every day after work and hung out with my Idaho mom and my Idaho dad and drank wine and talked about science. And it, it was awesome. By August, the lab had offered me an extension on my internship. And I had been applying to all those places, popular science, nature, Smithsonian, rejection, rejection, rejection. And the lab was going to offer to keep me on through April, you know, with money. Um, but I still really wanted to be a journalist. And this time, I didn't want to say yes. So at the end of August, Allie drove me to the Idaho Falls airport. And I got on a plane. And I went to Philadelphia to an apartment where I was going to find a way to pay rent. And I was going to have a desk in the corner and pitch stories and make things happen. And I felt in my body just so afraid of that, so afraid that I was making the wrong decision, that my savings account was going to run out and my career was just going to plummet. But I knew that the things that I'm afraid of sometimes are just in my head. Yeah. <laughs> 
That was Shannon Paulus. Shannon's writing has appeared in Slate, Discover, Popular Science, Retraction Watch, and many other publications. She's a staff writer at Wirecutter, a product review website owned by the New York Times Company. If you enjoyed today's story or are a fan of the podcast, please consider supporting us on Patreon.com. If you sign up to donate $10 a month or more, we'll list your name in our show programs across the country. The Story Collider is grateful for the support of the Tiffany & Co. Foundation and of Science Sandbox, a Simons Foundation initiative dedicated to engaging everyone with the process of science. The Story Collider is directed by Liz Neely and Aaron Barker, that's me, <laughs> with the help from our many vendors and volunteers. The shows featured in today's podcast were from shows produced by me, Aaron Barker, and Ben Lilly, as well as Liz Neely. The podcast is produced by Zoe Saunders. The theme music is by Ghost. Special thanks to St. Louis Public Radio and Union Hall for hosting these shows, and to Bears for being terrifying. Thanks for listening. Virtue Labs is a hair care brand with a vision to give everyone their best hair with the help of an incredible new protein called Alpha Keratin 60KU. Alpha Keratin 60KU is a whole human protein that's identical to the keratin in your own hair. As a result, it can fill in cracks from damage to change your hair's quality and appearance forever. Try Alpha Keratin 60KU exclusively in Virtue Labs' shampoos, conditioners, and styling products. Just visit virtuelabs.com and use the code COLLIDER to try Virtue at 10% off and get free shipping.